What does it mean to be happier at work? And how do you make it possible? Being happier at work and making it possible in work environments is the visionary message of our guest on the League of Visionaries podcast today. Meet Aoife O'Brien, the founder of Happier at Work, a business with the mission to eliminate toxic working environments for good. But also, it supports individuals to reach their full potential at work. Aoife works with business leaders and employees to focus on workplace culture, balance, and empowerment. Aoife has been featured by several national media platforms and public speaking events, talking about imposter syndrome, fit, employee engagement, productivity, and remote working. Her two-time award runner-up podcast, Happier at Work, features a combination of interview-based episodes as well as solo podcasting and has a global audience of 70,000 and counting. Aoife has lived and worked in Dublin, London, Perth, and Sydney and has an MSc in Work and Organizational Behavior, a Diploma in Executive and Life Coaching, and a Certificate in Career Coaching. Let's talk to Aoife O'Brien on being happier at work. Welcome to the League of Visionaries podcast by Yazi Media. The League of Visionaries podcast is your place to meet visionaries, professionals, entrepreneurs, and other thought leaders with a visionary message to share. This podcast is for you if you too are a visionary driven by a deeper purpose in your work, your play, and your investments. I'm your host, Marie-Thérèse Leroux, the media strategist with Soul and founder and owner of Yazi Media Virtual Media House. Connect with this league of visionaries as we explore the power of purpose and how to bring it to the world through your message. You'll find the League of Visionaries podcast on all the best podcasting platforms, and you can subscribe on your favorite. And remember to follow Yazi Media on LinkedIn to stay up to date with your visionary message. Ifa, thank you very, very much for giving your valuable time, your incredible talent to being here on the League of Visionaries podcast today. Thank you so much, Mary. I'm so delighted to be here. I have listened to a few of the past episodes. I think all of the past episodes, actually. And I just love your style. I love how you interview people. I love how you interact and, and bring your own kind of thoughts and background to it as well. So I'm really excited for our conversation today. You know, the big secret is I get amazing people on the show. So <laughs> thank you for being one of them. And the big thing that all these people have in common is they're visionaries. And I really believe you have a visionary message to share. Can you tell us more about that? It's so funny when you say that, because I probably wouldn't describe myself as a visionary. You know, if you said, who is a visionary? I would kind of look at around the room, you know, is this, am I a total and utter imposter? But I suppose for me, what it stems from is the experiences that I had at work. So I have always loved working. I actually love the process of doing work. I like, you know, having outcomes and all of that kind of thing. I had several jobs over the last 20 plus years. I worked in London. I worked, I worked during the summers as well in, in Germany, in America, but, but for my career career, I worked in London, I worked in Australia and I worked in Dublin and I had some experiences at work that left a lot to be desired, let's say. And it's, it's taken me a while to find the language around it, but essentially they were toxic. So one was toxic in the sense that it was purely toxic, really high turnover, really poor leadership, terrible communication, misogynistic as well, like Ooh. very big, you know, old boys club, that kind of atmosphere. And then another one where it wasn't so much toxic, generally speaking, but it was more toxic for me. It wasn't an environment where I could thrive and I could really feel like I could succeed at work because I wasn't working to my strengths and, and the values didn't really align. And because of that journey that I was on, I left my corporate role about five years ago and I went on to do coaching. So I did a career coaching certificate. I did a executive coaching diploma and a master's in organizational behavior. And when I was doing the master's, that's when it all kind of clicked together. It's this people piece and the research. So my background is all around research and data and turning data into stories and, and analyzing and making connections. And when I first started my business, I was very much focused on empowerment and working with individuals to help them with their careers. And it was kind of like anyone, you know, I want, I want to work with anyone, which is really difficult when you're speaking to anyone, then you're speaking to no one. For marketing, that's a bit of a nightmare. Exactly. 
got something that everybody needs. Yes. Well, this is, yeah, this is the trouble, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it sort of evolved over time and I, I kind of found my messaging a bit more. So now I'm happier at work, whereas previously I was empowerment coaching and I have the podcast Happier at Work as well, which is over 140 episodes now, listened to in more than 50 countries with 70,000 downloads. So I'm really proud of what I've been able to do with that. And I suppose the, the core message is that work doesn't have to suck. And I think sometimes when we are in those situations when we're working and whether that's working for ourselves, because let's face it, that can happen sometimes as well when you're working for yourself and you're doing stuff you're not really enjoying or you're working with clients where the values don't really align. Or it's your boss is impossible. Um, like I have that <laughs> since I've been working for myself. My boss, is my boss works me to the bone. Me down, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so really working with both of those at the moment. Yes. <laughs> on my yeah, one. This, is, this is it. This is it. <laughs> because we spend so much of our time at work because it's you know it's eight hours a day for five days a week around on average it could be more it could be less but it has a, an impact on all aspects of our life and if i remember back to that time when i was in sydney when i experienced that purely toxic organization it it had a really negative impact on my overall experience of living in sydney which should be really positive what an amazing city to live in and and you know, when it came to the crunch, I did look at finding another job and I, I met with a recruiter one day and sat down with her and she said, and I have this role and it's this and it's this and, and you'd be analysing data, you'd be managing a team, you'd be this and this salary is this. And I thought, this sounds like my dream job. Oh, sounds incredible. And then it wasn't until the end that she said, and it's for a cigarette company. And I just thought, no, no. And that was the kind of the catalyst. Like if my dream job is for a cigarette company, maybe it's it's kind of maybe think do i want to actually stay in sydney for two or three years so that i have and again this false thing that we feel like we need to have two or three years on our cv in any one job but that's what i was thinking like i would if i moved jobs i would have to stay in sydney for another two or three years but i decided just to leave with nothing uh, and travel so i ended up traveling then for over a year Oh. Uh, yeah, so that was that was incredible. But I think a long winded way of, of answering the question, like I suppose the vision is a world where where people are happier at work, where they enjoy their jobs, no matter what it is that they're doing, because we we're all doing some sort of job. Yeah, we, we definitely are all doing some sort of job. Work is such an integral part of what you what we do. As you mentioned, it takes up a significant part of our time, mm. even if we're not in employment. And it's actually beautiful that you mentioned that, that we all are doing some kind of productive effort in our yeah. days. And yeah, yeah. Well, interestingly, one, one of the questions that from a philosophical perspective, well, two questions, I suppose, is what is work? How do you define mm. work? Mm. And then why, why do we work? You know, so there's two. And again, more on a philosophical totally for another day but maybe some food for thought for people like how do you define work because there's chores that need to be done around the house you don't get mm -hmm. paid for those so work isn't in related to money in any way it's to, that's work that you're doing but you're not getting paid for it so so work is not necessarily something you get paid for and um, work is not necessarily something that you enjoy because sometimes you do stuff that you don't enjoy you know so so how do you define you know what is work Exactly. And someone on, on my podcast actually defined it as it's the opposite of leisure. So you're not, I suppose, doing it for fun and relaxation, although. <laughs> so therefore, you can define, you know, there's chores and things that, that you do at home. That's not leisure time. That's that's work time as well. So, yeah, lots of ways to think about it. And then why we work well, that's yeah. That is a really profound question because we have come into a world where work is very often equated or the reason for it is income. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the tighter that correlation gets, the less people enjoy the work very mm -hmm. often yeah. and the, the more other complicating factors there are. Many, many, many people who are not happy at work, when asked, why are you working? It's like, well... I want the job. I had an interesting experience recruiting once and it was for, for caregivers. So uh, in my family, we needed caregivers. And the question I always love to ask is, so why are you applying for this job? And the answer mm. usually was because I need a job. Yeah. And uh, that was a beautifully honest answer because it helped me to eliminate the candidate, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. But when I found the candidate who said, 
well, I think I can make a contribution. Mm. I think I can grow. I know yeah. I have my girl. Yeah. And he's been amazing. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. That, that is really, really the key. But a lot of that has to do with finding the sweet spot of where you're going to fit in. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big part of your work and your research. And I'd love to hear more about how your ongoing, well, it was the work journey, the, the life experience, yes. right? But then you also went to cement this academically. And you say it was during your uh, master's in organizational behavior studies and research that things just went yeah they just sort of fell into place a little bit because so i had a conversation with one of my lecturers i explained the situations i found myself in at work and she said oh that sounds like a fit issue something Mm -hmm. to do with environmental fit or organizational fit and i thought wow and i became obsessed with this idea of fit and i read everything i could about it any assignments that were kind of fairly broad or that i could use this concept of fit to to work on an assignment i i brought it into everything i did and i did it as part of my dissertation for my masters you know what we were told before we did the dissertation was whatever you pick whatever you do pick you're gonna end up hating it just so you know you're gonna end up hating it because the best advice about any kind of academic (laughs) research right because you're going to be doing so much research on this it's going to be just coming out of your ears and i thought oh well you know that's that's disappointing to hear but having said that after doing all my research i'm still so excited about this concept and what i found i you know i looked at different angles from my secondary research so having a look at what else is out there currently before i landed on what exactly i wanted to look at and what i boiled it down to was looking at this thing called environmental fit so it's person environment fit and i studied the uh, correlation between values so our values alignment need satisfaction at work and then the demands abilities is what it's called academically i prefer to talk about it as strengths and i'll come on to those in a second to explain them and then how that relationship is explained the relationship between fit and job satisfaction or engagement i looked at engagement as well but for the purposes of the dissertation it was too much to include engagement so job satisfaction on one side fit on the other but how that's explained by need satisfaction in the form of self-determination theory which is a really interesting theory around motivation through need satisfaction at work and and oftentimes when people hear about need satisfaction they think maslow's hierarchy and during my just my masters i was told don't ever use maslow's hierarchy in any of your assignments (laughs) Um, and i've since learned that the his hierarchy was never supposed to be a hierarchy. It was never supposed to be a pyramid. You know, it was always like the pyramid suggests that you have to have your basic needs met before you can achieve those higher level needs. So the basic needs, say for shelter, for warmth, and you know, things like that, that the very, very basic. And then of course, if you see any of the memes, it's like the very basic need is Wi-Fi (laughs) or during the pandemic, the very basic need when when we ran out of toilet paper was toilet paper at the bottom of the, you know, that's (laughs) the basic, basic. So that's, it was about need satisfaction essentially. But what I learned from going through that process was this idea that values are so important. Now, what I knew about values before taking or before starting any coaching, any of the coaching, um, the diploma, the certificate that I did, and before starting the master's, it was all about the values that we have on the wall, the values that we have in our email signature that didn't really mean a lot of things to me. I couldn't see the relationship between me and those values, but I also couldn't see the relationship between what people were doing and how people were behaving and the values that we had. So to give a, a specific example of that, one of the values that we had originally, and the values went on to change through, you know, after going through a process, but one of the ones we had originally was simple. And this was the most bureaucratic organization I ever worked in. And if you wanted to send a marketing email to clients, so they had their own, I think, proprietary system, but the equivalent of sending out, say, a MailChimp or something, it had to get approval from someone, one of two people in the United States, you know, and wait two weeks and all of this kind of thing. And I just thought this is anything but simple. It's anything but simple. It doesn't ring true for the people that are working in that organization. So that was the first thing, the the values piece and the importance of values. And we never really talk about that. 
And then the second piece was this idea of need satisfaction. So when our needs are satisfied at work, we feel like our values are more aligned with the organization. And that theory that I talked about, self-determination theory, the three needs there are autonomy, relatedness and competence. So autonomy is a sense of choice and control over what you do and how you do it. And if you think the pandemic brought so much flexibility and maybe we had too much autonomy. So you can it's about finding that balance. It's not about you give someone autonomy and that's it. The box is ticked. It's about finding the balance between having too much autonomy where you, you're lacking that guidance and direction. And then at the other end, when you have too little autonomy and you're being micromanaged and told you have to be in the office and you have to work this way. And this is what I this is how I want you to do everything. You know, that's that's too little autonomy. The relatedness piece then is about how you get along with the other people in your team. So how well do you get on with them? Do you have stuff in common? Do you talk about stuff? Is there kind of a trusting nature there as well? Then there's another aspect to that that I like to bring in, and that's the relationship that you make between what you do on a day-to-day basis with what the company is trying to achieve. So having a deep understanding of the impact that you are having on that organization's goals. And that comes from setting really clear expectations and really clear objectives that link back to what the organization wants to achieve. The third need then is this need for competence and that's feeling capable of doing your job. And similarly to uh, going back to thinking of autonomy, when, when you have this need for competence, it's not about just being capable of doing the job. It's thinking about if you don't feel capable, maybe you're feeling a little bit imposter syndrome, uh, which is something else I I talk about a lot. But if you have too much, you're not feeling challenged enough and you're getting bored and you're feeling a bit complacent or maybe you're not working to your strengths. So it gave me a really great framework for thinking about how, how all of this interacts. So that's the kind of the needs part. And then the third part, I always think of this as it's, I call it the strengths in the academic literature, it's called demands ability. So your ability to meet the demands of the role, it's actually the least important factor, which is why I talk about it kind of as the third. But if you think about any sort of job ads, any sort of promotion or a job description, the first thing that you typically see is here's a list of requirements or here's a list of skills that we're looking for. Here's what the company does. And here's a list of what you'll be doing in the job, or here's a list of requirements for what you will need to do the job. Whereas if people shifted that to think more about, here's what we stand for. Here's the kind of culture that you're going to come into. Here are our values. Here's Mm -hmm. how we can satisfy your needs for autonomy. So we give you the autonomy to make decisions, but we give you enough guidance and support to be able to execute your job properly. You know, if you shifted it around, And the ability to do the job then sort of becomes secondary because you can teach people new skills. You can teach people how to do things. The caveat with that, from my perspective, is I truly believe everyone needs to work to their strengths. Know what your strengths are and be able to work with your strengths. And this is sort of an idea, let's say, that's evolving in my head. Is the idea that if if you and I are both doing the same task, maybe it will take me half an hour. It'll take you an hour. It's one of my strengths and maybe I should be the person to do that. And maybe you shouldn't be the person to do that task, but there might be something else that takes you half an hour and it takes me an hour. Therefore, do you do that task and do I stick with the original task where I'm doing it only for half an hour? So it's kind of a, something I'm thinking we, we always used to, and you know, I'm sure you were brought up with this thought as well. You have to mitigate your weaknesses. You have to develop your weaknesses, you know, and, I read a really interesting post on LinkedIn the other day, and it said about, I think it started, it was a bit confusing start. It said something like, um, if I was to get 10% better on the running track, then it doesn't make a difference or or something like that. But if Usain Bolt was to get 10% better, then that makes a huge difference because he's already really good at it. Whereas if I'm not good at something and I get, if I get 10% better than what I was, but if you're really, really good at something, and you double down on getting better at that thing that you do, and you, you know you really, really focus on that, 
then that's going to make a huge difference. So I think it's really important for people to understand what their strengths are. And there's so many free tools out there to help people to understand what their strengths are. And I need to remind myself sometimes, like, what are my strengths? And, you know, there's things that I love doing. There's things I slip into where I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I actually quite enjoy it and I can do it quickly. And I, you know, so it's, it's finding that balance, I think, between what you should be doing versus what you want to be doing but also not overly focusing on trying to mitigate what your weaknesses are, but finding like what is, and I know like, you know, I I had Ian Hatton on my podcast as well. And that's something that we talked about was this finding your genius, you know, what is your genius? And I love how he explains it as, it's not necessarily a strength, but it's something that makes you feel, or a strength is not necessarily something you're good at, but it's something that makes you feel strong. And I just thought, wow, isn't that just a shift in perspective of like how we describe what it is that we're good at. That's incredible. And it also points out, you mentioned something takes one person half an hour, it takes another one days. And that's not because they're working on it. It's probably because they're procrastinating. And that is where we have our weaknesses. Yeah. When we work, imagine what it can do for productivity. Yeah. And another tip, of course, is uh, you're a business owner and you know how tempting it can be to get stuck in with things that need to get done yeah and actually the sensible thing would be now is the time to pass this on to my assistant or to the person who's helping mm-hmm. me or to the person who's specialized in this or even just bring in a freelancer because I've been procrastinating on this for a week right yeah yeah, yeah. and with business owners nowadays we so many of us have so many tools at our disposal and we could say oh yes I can design the pictures and I can do this and I can yeah. write that <laughs> yeah yeah you and I love doing it. Should you? Is, yeah, is that exactly. The thing that you can do that's most valuable, or should yeah. you be out there? What's moving the dial in the business? And I need to keep bringing myself back to that because, you know, I can spend hours on YouTube and looking at tags and, you know, doing all this stuff. The other point I wanted to make around that is this idea of our strengths and, and being able to understand our strengths. Um, when something is hard to do, it feels to us. So that's what a that's a reason for procrastinating and we could be procrastinating on something that would take five minutes or might take 15 minutes but it it weighs so heavily in our mind but it also it takes a lot of energy for us to do it and i think when something feels that kind of heavy energy or really hard to do the perception is that we should be paid more to do it Whereas Mm. if you're in a situation where you really, really enjoy what you're doing, you really, really enjoy your job, you kind of feel to yourself, I don't know why they're paying me for this. I should be, I would happily do this for free, you know? Um, And I have an example to share around that as well. A family friend, this is years and years ago, I was doing my, my initial degree in business and languages and I had Spanish and a family friend asked me, can you ring up some Spanish companies, you know, I'm I'm working with an exporter and I want to send some samples. Here's a list of names. Can you phone them up? Find it out, find out if it's the right person and if it's the right address and I'll send this stuff on. So again, this was something I did not want to do, but I was young and I, it was a family friend and I did the favor. And so I rang up all these people, scary, scary, got the point across. I think I did an okay job, but it was the kind of thing that I really put off till the end of the day. It made me feel a bit mm. sick doing it and I really did not enjoy it. And then at the end, the um, the person who I did it for gave me 50 euros. And I just thought all of that worry and angst for 50 euros, and it probably was worth 50 euros, but because of how I perceived it in my head that it was so hard, it took so much of my energy to pick up that phone and to, you know, as an introvert, as someone who doesn't speak Spanish very well, as someone who has never done any sales, it was so difficult for me to do that, that I kind of felt a bit like 50 euros, 50 euros for that. It's just to illustrate that that's sometimes how we feel. So if we're doing something that feels really hard to us, we feel like we should be getting paid more to do it. Isn't that fascinating? And and Mm. I've heard statistics that say, and please don't fact check me on this or do (laughs) correct me, but the research shows that when people are incentivized with financial rewards, the results do not reflect it. Yeah. Yeah. But when they can work on the things that they enjoy doing, it just Mm. happens and you don't need the financial rewards. Yeah. People respond well to other things and and yeah. we follow that passion and our strengths and our enjoyment and our pleasure are really yeah. what point the way. Yeah. 
So, well, a few things to, to comment on in relation to that. So what I talked about earlier, the self-determination theory of motivation, that autonomy, relatedness and competence, they are intrinsic motivators. When we feel internally a sense of autonomy, that we have a choice and control over what we do and how we do it. When we feel internally that we can relate to others and that we can relate to the bigger picture. When we feel capable internally of doing the job that we're doing, that's what brings a sense of happiness and, and joy to work because they are internal, intrinsic motivators for us. In relation to the stats and the research around that, there, there was an example I heard where they were requiring people to clean up a park. And with one group, they said, if you clean up this park, we'll give you five pounds each or five euros each. And to another one, they said, we want help cleaning up this park. We don't have any money to pay you. So therefore, when they're doing the work, they're doing it for the joy or for the impact that they're going to have. They're not doing it so that they'll receive money. Yes. They're not doing it like the end goal is different. They're not doing it for the money. And I think when you do stuff for the money, money is an extrinsic motivator. It's external mm -hmm. to us and it undermines the impact of intrinsic motivation. Like I've mm -hmm. never been the kind of person to be motivated by money in any way. And when I had the option to reduce my hours for less pay, I took that option. I was never motivated by money, but I am like one of my core values is around fairness. And so like for me, money is is a fairness and an equality and an equity perspective. So am I being paid fairly for the contribution that I'm making within the team? Am I being paid fairly against the men on the team, for example, as well? So, mm -hmm. so things like that. Um, there was a, um, they had another example to share around, around that. Yes, I do. I have a personal example to share. So when I was working in Australia for a time, I worked in a, um, a, a temporary role, uh, in recruitment, doing recruitment administration, working with the, uh, to help miners get up to the the mines. So we were doing massive, massive recruitment, um, blue collar workers. I so enjoyed it because it's dealing with people, but it's dealing with the process as well. Like there's this entire okay. process to follow. And now he's got this. So next he goes to the uniforms and next he goes to the doctor and next he goes and it was bringing people through this entire process, this entire system. And I loved it, but mm. I was pulled into a room one day and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? I'm going to get fired or something. And they offered me more money. They offered me or a something you were loving because you were doing it so well. Rise. Yes. But because I got more money, I kind of felt like, well, I'm getting paid way more money now. I could kind of take a backseat. And, and so it, it kind of acted in that way as a bit of a, I won't say it, a demotivator, but a kind of, because of when I was initially brought in, it was like, oh my God, do they know I've been looking at the internet? <laughs> have they caught me out? Have, have, I, have I been rumbled or something? Um, but I suppose it just goes to show that it's this, yeah, when you're paid more money, it doesn't necessarily result in you doing more work or doing better quality work. Mm. So you've given us a really beautiful model of what it is that helps to make people happier at work and the elements. Would you please summarize for us again? It's the yeah, number so, one. So, for, so it's three really for me. It's the values, oh. the needs and the strengths. But values, within, needs and strengths. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've kind of changed my language around that. So like from the research I did, it's values, needs and strengths. And, you know, they're interrelated and they're all brilliant and it's great. But in order to kind of meet the language of the corporates where they are or the companies that want to implement this, for me, I kind of look at it more as culture. So values is a really important part culture. of the culture. So you've got your culture. That's hugely important. And then as an individual, if you want to find an organization where you're going to fit in, culture is going to be really high up there. And there's mm -hmm. loads of things that implement culture. And one thing that sprang to my mind when I was doing the master's, but has come up again in client conversations is pace. How quickly do you work? How quickly do you work and how quickly do you like to work? I'm a really, I am a fast worker. And if things, if I work with someone who's a little bit slow, or if I work with an organization where things are bureaucratic and I can't get things moving quickly, I find it really frustrating. Uh, so there's, there's lots of elements to the culture piece. And then when, instead of calling it needs, I'm kind of like, what can I call it? I'm calling it balance. I know balance is not the perfect word. And, you know, I've heard things like it's not work-life balance, it's work-life fit and work-life integration and work-life 
uh, what else am I like? There's loads of different ways to describe mm-hmm. it, but for me, balance kind of incorporates this idea that you need to balance the needs. It's not about mm-hmm. just giving someone autonomy. It's about having the right level of autonomy for the person to meet meet their need for autonomy. Mm-hmm. But then it also brings in that element of we don't want to be working so much that we burn out. So it's about finding, again, balance, maybe not the right word, but for now I'm calling it balance. So it's within that need section. And then the third element, instead of strengths, I'm calling it empowerment. Mm. So going back to my old roots of empowerment coaching, it's yes. not just that having the strength, it's how do you get those strengths out of people? How do you get the best from people? And empowerment also is like, do you have the resources to do your job? And do you work in a way that's really productive and are you moving the dial on whatever it is that you want to move the dial on whether it's your objectives whether it's your own business and and bringing in your income all of that kind of thing so there's for for now it's those those three elements encapsulating what i've been doing yeah yeah we need organizations to Pay heed because the corporate world has been bleeding. We've been losing incredible talent to all the new possibilities that are out there and Mm. very good for the people who are stepping out on their own. But the fact is, it's a hard world out there. And if there's a job that can actually give them the satisfaction and meet all these needs, it could actually be a solution rather than losing that tremendous talent. So you're offering something very, very valuable Eva, with your Happier at Work initiative and your podcast and your consulting business, you are actually helping organizations to do that. Could you tell us a bit more about what you do on a daily basis? Shall yeah. we Shall we begin with the consulting and then we'll move on to your amazing podcast? Yeah, I put together a post recently explaining the different aspects of, of what I do, kind of partly to help myself to remember all of the different aspects, but also to let people know like there's there's kind of different ways to work with me. And one of the new ways I've introduced is coaching. I started out doing coaching, individual coaching one to one. I've kind of come full circle on that because I feel a real calling to help people out of those toxic environments, similar to the toxic environments that I was in. And I think it's taken me a while to find that language. But that's sort of what I've landed on now. And it's helping people specifically in those toxic environments. So there's the coaching aspect. Then I offer stuff around imposter syndrome as well. So I have my imposter syndrome program, which is called Imposter to Empowered. And I have so many ideas of where I could take that. And there's different ways to access it. So there's DIY, there's live cohorts, and then there's working with me one-to-one on that as well. And then I have my program, Happier at Work, and I'm currently looking for organizations to work with me on a pilot of that program, which I would run live with a view to turning that into a program that that people can kind of access in their own time. And looking also to work with individuals in a group setting on that Happier at Work program. So similar type of journey to an organization, but on an individual level. And then I do like the consulting is sort of almost as as an aside, if it's something specific that someone wants to work on. So, for example, something I get asked about a lot is about empowering women leaders and something I'm terribly passionate about as well. How do we help more women to become leaders and how do we get them the skills? Um, I also offer speaking. I do a lot of speaking and that's where a lot of my income comes from as well. Speaking, whether it's virtually uh, speaking on stages, things like that. But I have loads of free resources as well. So the podcast, of course, that you mentioned, and I do research because my background is research. So I have all of my you research can't stop skills. yourself. That's where the strengths are, right? <laughs> well, this is it. You're and it's like, how do, where do you find where do you find the time? And I just like I just it's something I enjoy. And it goes back to this idea that we spoke about earlier that if you're enjoying something, you kind of get into this sense of flow and you forget time and you just get into it. Whereas if, if something is really dragging and draining you, it's like you procrastinate on it and you push it out and you push it out and you push it out. But there's, I suppose there's, there's lots of different ways for, for people to work with me if they, if they wanted to reach out, if they're interested in learning a bit more about what I do. The podcast is usually the, the, the kind of best place to go to hear more about my approach, my, my thinking around things and, and what I could potentially offer. And my podcast links back then to all of my social media as well. Wonderful. And that's the Happier at Work podcast. And we'll Happier have all at work the podcast, links yeah. 
in the uh, descriptions. Very, very well worth following and also worth following you on LinkedIn, Aoife, because I just find so many powerful insights. And Thank although you. I'm out of that kind of world where I'm in the corporate environment, I'm seeing so much of your information relevant to managing ourselves yeah. in our work. Mm. As you say, how do we define work? Yeah. Um, I no longer have a job apart from the one I do for my own boss, who is also my <laughs> own employee. But it actually is so important to go back and remember, is my sole incredibly valuable yes. employee mm. really looking after herself? Yeah. You know, is my boss looking after herself? Yeah. Are we working in the zone where we really can do our best work? Or is it time to enlist help from, from freelancers or from an assistant um, or as I am now from an intern who is already making such a big difference to what's yeah. possible there's so much value in that and so many possibilities and one thing actually i forgot to mention in the services something i'm thinking of looking at further down the line in 2023 is to create a community so mm -hmm. bringing together a community of people who are interested in this type of stuff maybe yes. having people who've been on the podcast previously they're part of the community. They're there to kind of answer any questions that people might have about specifics. There's like tools that people can download and, and curated content that they can read and webinars that they can watch, live webinars, recorded webinars, previous podcasts, all of that kind of stuff, but all in one place curated. Maybe it's by topic, by you know, if you're at the senior level, then this is what you need to watch. If you're first time manager, then watch this. If you're an individual con contributor, then this might be more relevant to you. But bringing people together who have an interest in, generally speaking, creating better working environments, creating more positive working environments and facilitating happiness at work and helping people to be happier at work, essentially. That is something that sounds so, so exciting. Yeah, the, the possibilities really are endless. And uh, I know that you bring such a wonderful community now already of these experts that you've interviewed with so many episodes already and your newsletters, and it just becomes a massive treasure trove of resources. So very, very highly recommended. Thank you. But Aoife, you've been acknowledged by a lot of bodies and I can no longer keep up. So I'm not even going to try on the awards. But right now, the one I, I, I can keep a grip on is that you've recently been nominated for the British HR Awards as a finalist in the coaching and consulting categories. Both of those, that's a tremendous honor. And there are plenty more. Your Happier at Work podcast has enjoyed incredible nominations. Yeah. And it's just going from strength to strength and growing every year. Awards are a great way to enjoy recognition. How do you feel about that kind of recognition and how it can spread your message? Yeah. Because for many visionaries, this is a way to, to get out there, right? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think awards, really great recognition. And I think when people see on social media that you have been nominated for an award, there's so many people get behind you, like, well done. Like, there's obviously going to be people who are like, how did she get that? And I want that. And, you know, the envy <laughs> coming out like I do with other people. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. How can I get one of those? So I suppose for me, the awards thing, it's, it's two sides, isn't it? I love it. I love it. And from a personal recognition perspective, I love being recognized. Uh, we didn't go into detail on the, the needs piece. We have these universal needs for autonomy, relationness and competence. We have unique needs as well. One of my unique needs that I have, and this is not a universal need, not everyone has this need, but one of the needs I have is for recognition. And as someone who doesn't have a boss and who's not being told on a regular basis, yeah, you're on the right track, yeah, you're doing a good job, yeah, you're hitting, you know, you're ticking the boxes, whatever it might be, getting that external recognition is really, really important. But it also shows my clients that I'm trustworthy, that I have a, a good business, that I have a viable business. So from that perspective, it's brilliant. But I can't help but think that from an, an, an inclusion perspective, does by one person winning a, an award, what does it say about another person and how might they be feeling? And because I know I've been certainly feeling that if I'm a finalist and I don't win, it's it's quite disappointing and it's kind of demotivating then. So how do you create a system where if someone meets a basic criteria, then they win an award or they get some sort of a recognition that they've met a level of criteria. And this is without paying 
necessarily for that the recognition because I've seen other instances where you have to pay to receive an award or you have to you win an award and then they tell you that you, then they tell you that if you want to get the trophy then you have to pay or if you want to <laughs> get the logo you have to pay and like they well there's other awards companies that absolutely prey on entrepreneurs as well probably from that perspective that we want to get this recognition they create the smallest, smallest, smallest category you could ever think of and then say, you've won this category and now <laughs> you have to pay us to get the recognition. And you might have gone through a process where, you you know, you've spent a, you applied a, and everything. Yeah, you've applied and you spent hours or days on it. And, and you're like, oh, well, I may as well pay now because I've, I've won the award. So. Yeah, oh, it's I, I kind of let's say I have a love hate for now. I, I still love it, especially when I'm being, you know, getting finalists and getting that sort of recognition. But it is something to bear in mind that if you are not the award winning person. But I also have to think and I read something from someone else who is um, a kind of big influencer in the time management space and, and how to really focus on what's important in your business. And one of the things that I took away from him was that his clients don't care that he's award winning or whether or not he's won an award. So he doesn't They're apply for results. awards. Yeah. He doesn't apply for awards because it takes him so much time and his clients don't care. Right. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Do my Very clients care whether I'm an award winner or not? I don't know. My ego certainly cares. My mm. ego certainly cares that I can say I'm an award winner. And when I look at other people's profiles who are in the same sphere as me and they say award winning, I think, oh, I'm a total imposter. I need to be award winning as well. You know, so there's all of these different things. So love hate relationship, let's say, with awards at the moment. <laughs> well, for those of us from the from the outside looking in, it looks like even a, a nomination is a really yeah. Uh, it's a powerful tool. It's a trust yeah. builder. And uh, it, but it's also really important to not get too attached to yes. those things. Enjoy yeah, them this is it. Not, yeah. And you raise a really valuable point, which I don't think we have time for now, but, but maybe another time that we can talk about is this attachment to the outcome. So it's for oh. happiness at work. I think it's more about enjoying the process and not waiting till I'll be happy when I get the promotion. I'll be happy when I lose weight. I'll be happy when it's not the outcome that you're waiting for. It's enjoying what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and not waiting for that time in the future when you'll be able to say, ah, now I've made it. Now I'm successful. Now I'm insert whatever it is that you're looking for. It's about enjoying the process of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm trying to bring myself back to that every day as well. Am I enjoying what I'm actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis? It's not about some time in the future when I, you know, I've grown the company, I have more staff. It's about now. Am I enjoying what I'm doing now? That is one of the things that so many coaches and consultants and speakers, we pick a topic and life comes and tests you. The visionaries <laughs> all get this. You're a financial coach. Guess what's coming your way? You're a relationship coach. I've got a surprise for yeah. you. And if you are helping people to be happier at work, the constant test is, can I maintain my own happiness in the work yes. that I do? There's a beautiful myth about this, you know, when we can hop into the world of self-employment or remote work, then suddenly all the problems are going to be solved. Surprise, surprise, there are new ones. Yes. There are always new ones. Yeah. The same with the imposter syndrome. And you've mm -hmm. done such incredible work on that. And I can definitely recommend that anybody who's interested, who's suffering from the imposter syndrome or the confidence issues, go and look at Aoife's work on this because it is really groundbreaking and really empowering and there are a lot of the free resources but you also have the program isn't that I have right? the program but I have so many ideas around taking it to the next level about not just focusing solely on imposter syndrome for example but kind of doing a broader context how do we support it's women especially that I want to support at work because I am a woman and I have experienced misogyny and I have seen that glass ceiling and I do regularly see the struggles that women particularly encounter at work and I want to do something about that to empower women to be able to feel safe and to escalate them within business, within leadership, within the organizations that they're in or or get them out of, you know, feel brave enough to leave the situation that they're in if it's not working out for them.
Incredible. And that's, that is a, a big process that, that deserves coaching in itself, isn't it? And this is a very interesting thing about women and our cultural conditioning of how difficult it is to accept. I mean, we speak about the awards, but accepting recognition and acc accolades and praise, it is so hard to be in that limelight. And it, it's like you say, you know, there are people who are jealous or there are people who are inspired and, mm. and all these things. And it does take a whole it's a new level of confidence mm. you know first we wonder can I do it then we start getting the results and then it's a matter of being gracious being gracious yeah. about getting the recognition and and not feeling oh well how did this happen do I deserve it because exactly. it happened, you probably do yes you probably, yeah yeah probably do yeah but uh, a lot of that is cultural conditioning Definitely. And it's like you, you raised such a good point there in relation to like you get to a certain level and then I think you reach a certain level and you become more visible and you need to be comfortable with being visible. And this idea of visibility is one of the triggers for imposter syndrome. And it, whether you're growing a business and you're becoming more well known or whether you're in an organization and you're moving up to more senior levels, there's more eyes on you. The more sure. senior you go, there's more eyes on you. And that mm -hmm. puts pressure on us to perform and to perform a specific way and to make sure we're living up to our values. And, you know, sometimes we question, do I, come back to your point, do I deserve this? Am I capable of doing this? Yes. And I think it's okay to feel safe in the knowledge that most people feel that way. And when I say most, the research shows 70%. When I carried out this research myself last year, it was 90% of respondents had experienced imposter syndrome. It was 50-50 for experiencing now. So 45% experiencing now, 45% had experienced it in the past. So huge numbers. So if you're feeling like you don't deserve your success, that you feel like a fraud or someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and call you out and say they made a mistake, know that you're definitely not alone. Most people are experiencing it or have experienced it. Absolutely. And once again, that comes back to the fit, back to being in the environment where you have the values, yeah. where you actually are working to your strengths, because then you are going to achieve things. And it eliminates a lot of the imposter stuff when it's mm. just like, this is who I am. I can't, I can't be anybody else. Like nobody, <laughs> you know, nobody, you're not quite being you right now. Yeah. That's the only imposter there is. You know, if Absolutely. you're being you yeah. and you're working to your strengths and you're growing and you're learning, you you probably are okay, but it, it takes a lot of hearing that. It takes a lot of support before yeah. we wake up to that. Absolutely, absolutely. Aoife, what does your message mean in the world today, being happier at work? I think it's find something that you enjoy doing on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. you know? When you think of your job, are you thinking, this is taking me to somewhere else that I'm gonna be happy in the future? Or are you thinking, I really enjoy what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I hope I can continue doing this and learning and growing with these skills and getting to use your, your strengths at work, being in an environment where you feel valued, where you feel rewarded and recognized and where your values align, where the behavior that you expect in an organization fits in with that same behavior that, that you would like to, to demonstrate or that you would expect and that you would, um, that you expect of yourself and that you expect of others. That's tremendous because it means happier employees and the ultimate bottom line yeah. is we a haven't more productive even, company. But we haven't even talked about that, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the impact that it that it actually has. It's not just because it's a good thing to do or it's not just because, you know, it, employees will be happy. The bottom line is companies who have happier employees make more money. The staff stay for longer. So they don't have to pay for recruitment costs. They don't have to pay for training costs. Staff are more productive because they're doing stuff and they probably get stuff done quicker if they're working to their strengths as well. Like, so there's all of these things that contribute to it being, you know, it has a definite impact on, on the company's profitability, productivity, its ability to make money, to, to attract and retain top, top talent, all of the above. We haven't even touched on that. <laughs> And, and that's one of those wonderful things where the um, the profit is a side effect yeah, of a healthy company, yeah. of a healthy culture. Mm. And um, this is when it, it becomes a matter of checking the boxes. You know, have we had our employee wellness day? Have we oh, yeah, put everybody yeah. through their CPD training and, and all of this? Those things actually do not lead to the profits. Mm. But start with happy employees. Start with 
helping people yeah. find their best fit, live their yeah. best life, mm. have that work-life balance, yeah. and suddenly the profits follow. Yeah. Um, but it's symptomatic. It can't yeah. be the goal. Absolutely. And, you know, when some people talk about what I do, they call it well-being and, oh, well-being. And, and I think well-being is an easy way, it's an easy message for me to tell other people what I do, although I don't personally consider it to be well-being. For me, it's about getting the basics right. It's mm -hmm. about the foundational parts of a business, which is the culture. Are people doing what they say they will do? Are they living in line with the with the values? You know, what, what's that cultural element? Do they have the resources to do their job? Are their needs being satisfied at work? Do they have work-life balance? And then do they feel empowered to make decisions, to grow, to, to move up? You know, do they have the resources? All of these things are so, so important, I think, rather than just saying, oh, we'll get someone in to do a talk on well-being, and then that's, that's our well-being initiative done for the year or, or something like that. That's exactly it. There's so much more to it. And Aoife, I could talk to you for hours very happily, <laughs> but I'm rather going to send the listeners off to your podcast because there's so much to discover there. And it is just a massive pleasure having you with us. But Likewise. can you share your links? We're going yeah. to share them in the description to this episode. But uh, where is the best place to go and find you? Yeah, I think, as I said already, Happier at Work podcast. So obviously someone's listening to a podcast now, have a search for Happier at Work. If you're watching on YouTube, then check it out. Uh, I have a YouTube channel as well, which is Happier at Work HQ. And then the third place that I would say is my website, which has links to all of my social media platforms. So the website is happieratwork, all one word, dot IE, which is for Ireland. And my name, if someone wants to look at me on it, although you might be better looking at the spelling in the Don't show look notes. At the description. <laughs> look at the description. My name is Aoife, but it's, um, and I tell people to read it backwards in case they were kind of looking at it, but it's oh. spelled A-O-I-F-E. And then my surname is O'Brien, which I hope is fairly standard enough now. O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N. Aoife O'Brien of the Happier at Work consultancy and the Happier at Work podcast. What a pleasure having you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. I am keeping my fingers crossed for all those awards. If they happen, we're over the moon for you. We are so thrilled with the work that you're doing. You're getting five-star awards from the League of Visionaries podcast anyway. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to chat with you today. And likewise, I think we could have just talked for another few hours about all of these things and solve the world's problems it would be amazing. So thank you so much for the invitation. It's my absolute pleasure to be on with you today. Lovely. Thank you, Aoife. And see you on your podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to the League of Visionaries podcast by Yazi Media, proudly brought to you by Totally Morpheus. Subscribe to the League of Visionaries podcast here on your favorite podcasting platform and follow Yazi Media on LinkedIn to find out more about how you can share your visionary message with the world. This season of the League of Visionaries podcast is brought to you by Totally Morpheus, providers of conscious leadership development programs. Find out what conscious leadership development can do for you at totallymorpheus.com. And while you're there, take the Leadership Egg Assessment and discover your leadership essence growth gap.